0: Hey podcast fam, Colin here. Look, the audio on this episode is a little messed up and that completely falls on me. I didn't have the microphone right in front of Joe when we were recording with him. And so I apologize that the audio isn't as great on this episode as it has been on others. We're over a year in on this podcast and we are still figuring things out. So thank you for bearing with me. I apologize that the audio is not as great as it should be, but the episode with Joe is great. The interview was awesome, and I hope you enjoy it. So thanks for listening. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I like that that was good. That, was good. <laughs> that one felt good my name is colin austin and my guest co-host today is the highly demanded coe <laughs> of new scooters for less the chief of everything michael d's what is up man not much man i'm becoming a regular now i know i like, think i love like, it regular
1: status yeah it's, it's good. No, what's good? On, good i morning. like your bolt shirt hey playoffs you know it's playoff season yeah i rep yeah yeah
0: joe do you have any favorite uh teams what's your favorite teams athletic teams
2: I'm
0: really a Gator fan. That's it, Gators. Pretty much. That's the one, the one and only. Well, you guys, let me introduce to you our guest today. I am so excited that he is here. We have Joe Cerulli, owner and founder of Gainesville excuse me, Gainesville Health and Fitness. I know how to say the word Gainesville, guys. I've been, I've been here for 19 years. <laughs> and you guys, he has focused his life on two things, helping people become healthy and building a company culture that inspires people to become the best. His clubs rank globally in the top percentile for sales, management, and community service. Joe, thanks so much for being here, man. You're
2: very welcome. This is, Thank
0: you. This is gonna be exciting. I, uh, you know, this is, this is somebody that, I think you if you're in the Gainesville entrepreneurial scene you admire from the outside in for for so long and then when you get to actually meet Joe you're just like wow he's Whoa. really cool <laughs> <laughs> and and you don't you know I, there's this there's this false perception sometimes and I think it's just in business in general that man like this person's really big and I'm never going to be able to talk to a person like that or sit down with a person like that or just just be in a network with a person like that and um, and i've had I've had lunch with Joe and I mean I just re- that that time was so valuable to me and and I know like I know you're a busy busy guy I don't have time to, to carve out time for every every single request, but you definitely go out of your way to tr- to try and do what you can and including being here on this podcast so thank you so much for well, doing you're that very welcome. it's thank a you. it's exciting so you guys, we're going to get into Joe's story, and I have a bunch of questions for him. But before we do, I want to remind, today is May 13th, and I want to remind everybody, today is the last day, the last day to sign up for the Wrap Spot giveaway. Wrap Spot is our first sponsor, and if you don't know already, because we've only said it a million times, <laughs> like go get signed up to win this wrap. Wrap Spot is giving away a vehicle wrap; It's a $2,500 value, and what you have to do to get entered is to go to whoagmv.com, click Giveaway. And then, and then there's just a little form on there, and you just register to win, and that's it. And we're going to be giving it away this Friday, May seventeenth, my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, so yeah, so definitely go get signed up. Today is the last day. And, um, I just want to thank Rapspot again for giving us that. It's been awesome. We've had a lot of entries building up a lot of awareness, uh, you know, for this podcast. And, and I'm, again, this is, we're going into episode 53. It's a year two, baby. And I'm just super excited for everybody who has just jumped on board and supported this podcast for the last year. I cannot wait to see what God does with, with this thing over the next several years. It just, uh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. So, world thank you so much for for your love and i do want to give out you know i had on the on the form, and i've said this before but on the form it says hey if you go follow the whoa GMV on instagram facebook you follow me on instagram there's like six six things that you have to do and if you do that then i'm going to give you a shout out and i got one shout out to give today to alexis gill thank you so much for the love and the support you are awesome and that's it Thanks, Alexis. <laughs> ready to get into it? Let's, you let's got go. Questions? No, let's go. go. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm pumped. So, Joe, now I know that a lot of people have heard your story, and it's a fascinating story, and I and I want to hit that because we always hit the origin story, um, but then I, I have some really great questions that I want to get into. So why don't you give us like the, the solid version of your Gainesville Health and Fitness story, and we'll take it from there.
2: Well, I I don't know when the story actually began. I I didn't know when the story actually began until once I was at a conference, and um, it was back in 1985, and at the conference, the people who were putting on the conference came up to me at 5.30 to tell me they just found out the keynote speaker wasn't going to show up, and they asked me if I would give the keynote, and I said, like, what do you want me to talk about? (laughs) <laughs> and they said, well, just talk about how you got into the business. And um, so I said, okay, but let me get away from here for a while so I could think about how it all began. And, and when I, I went back and I started really thinking about it, I realized it all started when I was seven years old and it was because of a mother who was a nurse who used to always tell me as a little kid, he goes, just remember, as long as you got your health, you got everything. She told me that all the time. And it really sunk in because it got me watching TV, watching exercise shows on TV. It got me to want my first set of weights, which I got when I was nine years old. And, um, and when I looked, that was really the beginning because I started bringing my little friends into the cellar, teach them how to lift weights. Eventually, high school, I brought my whole football team. I started teaching, not in my cellar anymore, but with the <laughs> YMCA, yeah. teaching them how to lift weights all the way to coming to visit somebody in Gainesville and needing a place to work out. I was here for 30 days. And The girl I had come to see had a brother who was a member of the Steve Spurrier Health Spa, and I asked if I could go work out with him. And and when I was done, and I did obviously, when I was done, I went to the manager, told him I was in town for 30 days. I didn't have any money to be able to pay to work out, but I'd be willing to work for free if he let me work out for free. So that 30 days was the beginning of my entire career and that was when I was 19. Isn't it
0: fascinating to look back at that time now
2: Oh yeah, because you What's realize it? there's little moments in time that if that thing didn't happen, that wouldn't have If that didn't happen, that would have never happened. And you realize there's an entire correlation to everything that occurred in your life with just little moments in time. So that was one.
0: <laughs> now... I know for a while, like, were you living out of your car, if I recall correctly? Well, see,
2: the first five years I was in the business, I worked for six companies that went bankrupt. I lived in closed down <laughs> oh, buildings, I lived in health clubs I worked in, I lived in my car. Um, but I never wanted to get out of the business because every time a business went bankrupt, I'd say, you know, I know a year's worth of that stuff now, and if I quit now, I'll lose that entire year. and I'd work for another one, it would go bankrupt. i say, now I got two years. And if I quit now, I'll lose all two years of the knowledge that I gained. And um, when I was 21, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. So I still had to work for more clubs that went bankrupt, but it was okay. I just, I just dealt with it at the time, it didn't matter. And I read books all the time about people, how all the things they went through, and I'd be reading about people's lives and saying, man, what they went through was a heck of a lot worse than what I'm going through. And um, I just knew what I wanted. So it just eventually got to the point where the sixth guy went bankrupt, and I just looked at it and I said, You so know, maybe now is my opportunity. So I took over that bankrupt club, and uh, that club was being kicked out of that location because the landlord or the uh, previous owner had not paid rent and some other issues. So I eventually found a Location that was about a three-month story I won't tell you about. But <laughs> <laughs> I finally found a new location, and uh, I signed a lease when I was 24. That obligated me to $168,000 in rent, and I had uh, I had um, at that point I had a check for $6,700. One bank had given me a loan for $6,700 because I owed them 3300 They gave me a loan for 10000 and um, so I had to give the landlord at the current location I was in 1200 bucks to save for three more weeks. I signed a lease for the 168000 I had to give them 3800 of it. And uh, I started the health club with 1700 bucks. But nobody knew I had only 1700 bucks, So I hired everybody to build it. And I, I knew that you could advertise and not have to pay for that for 30 days. So I advertised like crazy. That's incredible. And somehow every week I had enough money to keep paying those contractors to come in for another week and I'd give them half their money. I'd say, come back next week, I'll have the other half. And somehow every week I had the money to pay them. What year was that? That was in uh, 1978.
0: What ways were you marketing? Like when I mean, you, had the- you know
2: it was television radio newspaper because that's what it was and um, so but like I said, I knew you didn't have to pay the bill for 30 days so I figured I could maybe generate enough memberships and all to keep it going so by the time I even got to that point I'd be able to pay the the bill and I and I always was somehow I always was but I had complete confidence i never I never doubted that I could do it and um, so. And that's fortunate. It worked all the way through. I mean,
0: were there any days where, <laughs> I mean, you never doubted, but like, you're like, this is due tomorrow?
2: <laughs> Where's this money going to come from? Well, the one thing I, you do is when you're in a situation that, you work about 18 or 20 hours a day, you know, to figure out ways to do it. And I was always able to figure out a way. I mean, I, I say during the extra, you know, five or six hours I could sleep, you usually stay awake thinking, mm-hmm. but. Um, I don't I never had I never had fear that I couldn't do it you know it doesn't mean you have to you don't have to be thinking and thinking and thinking it doesn't mean you have some anxiety but you know that you can do it in the end and I had no doubts I could be well I guess the reason I had no doubts is I there was no like there was no plan B <laughs> that's all there was and there was nothing else I wanted to do so I knew I knew I had to make it work and remember I had I had five years of experience of watching other people. And one thing that I am good at is watching other people, the good, bad, and the ugly. And even for people who are are not like good managers that I work for during those periods of time, I would still say there's gotta be something good they do. I gotta just watch and pick up the something good they do. I mean, I grew up in a really good family, so I knew the bad things you didn't do. <clears throat> um, but it's amazing how many people who run business not who run business maybe who manage business and this is not a wholesale thing, but there's people who will do things to cut angles, cut things short and um and I just learned you know from that, but I also realized I learned a lot of things well before that I mean, I learned some really good qualities from my parents, you know, which was being working hard and and being honest and those kind of things which you know are critical you know, in, in business and, um, because you know that you can't ever grow a business unless people can trust you. And the only way they can trust you is if you keep your word all the time. But when I you know, look back, I, I, I could remember you know, the first year I was in the business, uh, I worked for 11 different managers. I mean, the first thing you learn is, don't become the manager. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, probably one of the guys that made the biggest impact on me was the manager, was my manager for three hours. And um, I mean, I learned something from him that I, when I was 20 years old, I said, that is really cool. And it had to do with a guy, and I, I can never remember his last name, I remember his first name was Peter. And I'd only been in the business now for a couple months. And um, he came in, He had just come in from Salt Lake City because the company that bought the Steve Spurrier Health Spa was out of Salt Lake City. And they brought him in to be the manager. And when he came in, he introduced himself to me. He asked me if I'd give him a tour, and I did. And as I was giving him the tour, he was actually showing me how to give a better tour. And I went, this is really cool, he's never even been here before, but he could tell me how to give a better tour. And I looked at it positively, not negatively. And when he was done, he went in and he met with the uh, owners of the company After about two and a half hours, he came out, and he comes over to me, he goes, Joe, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. He goes, Joe, you're new in sales, right? And I said, yes. He goes, they gave you goals, right? And I said, yes. And if you accomplish the goals, they give you a bonus. I said, yeah. He goes, did you accomplish it? I said, yes. He goes, did they change the bonus? Did they lower the bonus after you hit it? And I remember saying to him, yes, but I can still do okay. And he looks at me, he goes, okay, I'll see you in just a few minutes. He left, goes back in with those guys, comes back out, sits down with me, he goes, Joe, I just want you to know, it was really nice meeting you, he said, but um, I just resigned. He said, I would never work for a company that promised something, and when you deliver it, they change their promise. Mm. And he said, I'm going back to Salt Lake. And I, as he was walking out the door, I said, that is really cool. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, I will never make a promise to somebody that I, that I don't plan on keeping. And I said I would think through any promises I make in business, but even if I think through it and then later I realized I made a mistake, I said I'll still do whatever it was I said I'd do. And it was just one of those simple little lessons that um, he just brought to the forefront. And so just little things like that is you know, how you learn.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how little things like that stick with you yep. for so long. Um, so then all of a sudden we had this giant company. <laughs> like fast forward. So I mean when you said when did you start your Gainesville Health and Fitness Center? You said that was seventy eight.
2: 1978. Okay. Yeah. So
0: nineteen seventy eight. And then, you know, you have you have bills coming in, and you're like, ah, I can I know I got thirty days to get this paid, boom. I mean, how long did it take before you were like, Okay, we've really got something here?
2: Well, I always thought we had something from the very um, beginning. From the very beginning,
0: oh, I, and real quick, I mean, you said you didn't. You said you didn't have a Plan B. Like, I mean, as an entrepreneur, do you recommend having a Plan B,
2: <laughs> or no? I recommend not having a Plan B. Just yeah, this this is it. Too We're easy. gonna make when it. Things, when things get real hard, you stop and go to Plan B. Okay. Um, if you have no Plan B, you have no choice, and you'll figure out a way, you know, to make it work. But um, like I said, I learned how to make. Uh, you know, bring in revenue from like nothing. And so as it grew, then we grew. You know, I'd look at situations, I'd say now is the time. And one of the things is I never had fear of growing. You know, when we had an opportunity, I grew. And because I knew I had to get big. Now, sometimes, you know, in business, you can be motivated. One of the greatest motivators is fear, right? So, you know, motivators that somebody's bigger and better is gonna come into town and I gotta get bigger and better before they come into town. So that always inspired me. Take the next thing, do the next thing, do the next And I never worried about the money. I, when I tell you I never worried about the money, I never worried about the money. I uh, can give you a good example. Um, it's something i just learned, I've learned over the years, and that is when you start with nothing, and you probably know this, you risk everything, right? Now you know what happens to people, they'll start with nothing, risk everything, now they got something and now they start avoiding risk because now they got something to lose. And um, I- But
0: isn't that just because there's so much more, like right, I mean you have so much more riding on your shoulders at at a larger stage. Now you have team members and you have team members' families. Responsibility. Isn't that the pressure that we feel? It's like, okay, I'm not gonna go and I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna risk all of that.
2: Well, I think that's the reason why you do risk. You know, because sometimes when you don't risk, that's the beginning of the end. And so I just learned that, that as the business became more successful, as I had more, uh, the, the big fear could be, mm, don't risk it, you could lose it. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example though, and that was Tioga, you know, the facility out there. I looked at that and, th- and thought, that's gonna cost four million dollars to do that. You know, this was back in 2006. And um, then I started looking, I say, wait a minute, I'm starting to think like I don't ever want to think, which is I'm afraid of losing it. And as soon as that thought went through my head, I said, okay, let's go, let's move forward, let's go do it. Um, as I'm telling you, it's not. I'm not talking about risk like stupid risk. Right. I'm saying the fear of growing your business because you've got something to lose because you got something, instead of what can we gain by doing it. And what can you lose by not doing it? Because I can look at it and say, well, another facility could go in and I got a lot of people who are members out there and all of a sudden I could lose all those members. So no, I'm gonna do it.
0: Okay, with Tioga, with when you got to that point, like that was the second location?
2: Um, no, the, the Women's Club was the okay, second on location. But this was you know years and years later.
0: Okay, when, when, when you get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm gonna Do this? Like, how much time was spent? in, you know, I can hear that, feel that reaction. Be like, oh, I'm, like I'm, I'm doubting myself. Like, I just need to do this. But how much time did you really spend looking at, like, all right, am I cannibalizing or by people? You know, or like, or, I mean, I know like they can go to whichever. But like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, how yeah, much time? Yeah, yeah. How much time was spent in like calculating? Hey, is this worth it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: minimal amount of time because. You know, I was looking uh, way before anything was built out that way. I was looking at all the gas lines, water lines, pipeline. Everything was being put in heading west on Newberry Road. So I looked and I said, "Well, if they're doing that, they're planning on the city growing out there." Now, the, the, I mean, the, the irony to us, we opened in 2000. <laughs> we opened in 2007, and then the whole recession hit. Yeah. You know, when I figured all this development is going to go on. So that kind of like slowed the growth, but it didn't slow us. Um, And we just kept working on trying to make it better, trying to make it better. Now you look out there and there's a phenomenal amount of growth that's taking place out west. And so it was the right thing to do, but I knew it was the right thing.
0: But do you even do. let things, or the possibility of things like that slow you down? Like, I mean, there's a, I mean, even right now, I would say right now, there's a lot of discussion about, oh, what's gonna happen in the we're economy? The like, we're on the verge, we're on the bubble, everything's gonna pop. Like, what, you know, and you hear all this stuff. Like, as, as an entrepreneur, do you just, like, have to put it out and just keep, keep going and just, like, don't even let that affect your decision making, or, or should you? Like, should you?
2: Well, you just have to be able to think through those situations when they happen. i give you the example, which is 2007. You know, I mean, we still had two big, you know, the big club and the women's club and and I, I met with my staff. I said, look, I mean, my top management, I said, here's the deal, we're gonna get hit by this recession just like everybody is gonna get hit by this recession. I said, so what we need to do is we need to figure out how to cut costs in every way that a member will never see. And so we started looking at how we set up payroll, how the different supervisors work their shifts. And we were able to cut a million dollars out of our expenses and for that beginning at that at that point. And because see what happens a lot of times is your business grows, your business starts getting a little fatter, right? You start adding this on that, And when you look at the other situation like this, you gotta say, where do we have the excess fat? Where can we start cutting it down? but at the same the time. The irony with it being a health and fitness. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming um, But then at the same time, my younger brother, who was a painter, I said, paint the entire health club. So my brother, for like almost a year, was on scaffolding and everything, painting the whole club. Because I didn't want anybody to think we were like going to cut back on anything. I wanted them to see we were still progressing. Mm. But there's other things that occur too, like um, You know, 2012, the recession was still going on, right? And um, I put together a massive plan to add 12,000 square feet to the front of the building, to build over a retention pond and start building that thing. Everybody who I knew in the industry goes, Joe, now is not the time. No, there's still a recession going on. I said, no, no, now's the exact perfect time. I said, because one of the things that I've learned is people are attracted to successful businesses, not the businesses that are failing, and I, I said, we'll show the people in Gainesville. We're gonna just move on forward and they'll see that we can be successful even during the times when everybody else was crying about the recession. And the, when I say the smart thing about that was we were able to get steel at lower prices, all the things at lower price, because nobody was working. And uh, the construction business was like, people were yeah, left, not moving forward. So we got all that we got all that stuff going, and then what happens? The recession ends, and we're able to be way ahead of everybody to start a massive remodeling project of the entire center. And you know, then over time, what do you think happens? Like you know, Butler Plaza is being built, celebrations being. Built. Now it's like, okay, we got to get our pool area done. Where are the guys? Who where are the masons? We need to get masons. And now everybody's <laughs> digging to try and get everybody. But we only had to deal with that toward the end. Yeah, you know, because our that. From that beginning of the front of the building, the the project of remodeling the club went on for six solid years. We just finished this last uh, this last past summer. Yeah. So anyway,
0: it's beautiful. I mean, it sounds like well, when I'm looking at your model again outside a lot, you know, a lot of this is outside perspective. And like I'm just fascinated by continuing to scale and grow. This, the fitness centers that are here? Like, was there ever the time we are like, oh, maybe Ocala, maybe Tampa, maybe Jacksonville, like maybe across the country? I mean, what is it that's like very focused on Gainesville?
2: My goal was to become the absolute best we could become in Gainesville. I never had a desire to start going around and building and building and building. You know, I've been over the years. There were uh, other companies that wanted to buy me, other fitness companies, and I can remember the first one. They were they were a big company back then, and so I said, "Well, what's your plan?" And so they tell me, "Well, we plan on putting a box here and a box here and a box here," and a bo-. and I'm sitting there as they're saying as they're saying this. I said, "I don't build boxes. You know, I look at my place as." facility with human beings inside of it, where they were just looking at it as a bunch of boxes. And I said, that's not who I am. And uh, so I, I backed off from that you know, completely. Now, the, there's one change. Uh, we're now starting to develop boutique centers. And I built one three years ago in uh, Palm Harbor, Florida, and I'm just getting the equipment in for the one I built in Tampa on uh, Sunday or Monday. And uh, it's just something that I that I looked at, something that that um, well, once again, you get those moments in time. In 2011, I picked up a book called *The New Rules of Retail*, and it talked about all the challenges department stores were going to be, we starting to have with all the boutiques being built and their customers being pulled away. And, and I'm reading the book, and I'm thinking, boy, this is the same problem health clubs are going to have. So I, I have a great architect up in New York who's built health clubs all over the world. And, and uh, he's, his name is Rudy Fabiano, but he has no ego. I mean, he's, he's the, the best in our industry. but he, So I called him. I said, hey, Rudy, i got to tell you about this book I'm reading. And I started talking about the ideas I got from the book. I said, you know, Rudy, I said, we're going to start a massive remodeling project. I said, I think, um, I think if you get this concept right, It'll change the way you design health clubs all over the world. And he goes, I'm really intrigued. So he went out and got the book. And I said, do me a favor. Go into the new Bloomingdale's in New York City. But when you walk around it, don't look at it like it's a department store. Look at it like it's a health club. And tell me what you see with all the different spaces. And he called me back. He goes, it was very interesting. He started telling me the things he saw. So we started discussing it. But once again, when you start focusing in on something, Right, at, right around that time, I was asked to speak in uh, London, and I was there for almost a week. And one day, when I wasn't speaking, I was walking down the street, and I see this department store. It's called Selfridges, and I thought, ah, "Let me go take a look at it." I was in that store for six hours. I'm <laughs> lucky I didn't get arrested. I was taking pictures of it. <laughs> <Every laughs> Thank you, case in the joint. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but it was uh, all these stores were inside the store like Gucci and Prada and Chanel, they were built right inside of the store. And I'm looking at it thinking, you know, you could pick up one of those businesses, one of those (laughs) boutiques inside, put it out on the street corner, be a complete business. And um, so I'm looking at all this stuff and I, I called Rudy, I said, Rudy, I think the guy that wrote that book must have been sitting inside of this store. And uh, so I took all the pictures and I sent it to them. But once again, when you start focusing in on something, Mm -hmm. everything kind of starts getting out there in front of you. So I I come home from England and I turn on the TV. What's it say? PBS, doing a show, such and such time, The Secret of Selfridges. The entire history and development of that store, which was (laughs) built in 1909. You would never know nothing 1909 about it. But um, so I watch it, and then I ordered the DVD, and I sent it to Rudy. I said, "Rudy, watch this, and you'll understand exactly, you know, what I saw." And that became the beginning of this massive remodeling project that we did over six years. But I'm mean, here's the irony of it: I ordered a couple CV- DVDs, and Deborah Butler, who's developing Butler Plaza, I said, "Deborah, I got something. I want you to watch this," and she comes to request our rehab center. And um, she goes, okay, so about two weeks later, I said, Deborah, did you watch that video? She goes, watch it. She goes, I have my entire team watch it. She goes, we will be building stores that are like suffrages. So it's like one thing leads into another, but if I didn't pick up that book, it would have never, I mean, I guarantee If I was walking down the street and I saw a department store, I would have never even walked into the department store. But when I was just telling you earlier about the boutiques you know, that I built in Palm Harbor and now in Tampa, we have a program inside the health club called X-Force Body and it's a phenomenal, phenomenal program. And one day I was looking at it and I go, hmm, I wonder if I can do what I thought about when I was in Selfridges, if I could just take this model, put it somewhere else and it could work, see if it could work all by itself. So I opened the place in Palm Harbor uh, simply to learn and uh, so, I did it for three years, and been building a place in Tampa, and got it all built. Now we'll be opening up in the next couple of weeks um, to take what I learned from Palm Harbor now and apply in Tampa. And it's in South Tampa, so it's a much more dense population than what we have in Palm Harbor. But uh, keep learning, and see how that leads to the next one. And. You know, I mean, I know what I would do there. I have those in the Tampa, Clearwater, St. Petersburg area. But I'm learning. I'm still learning. So it's not like I have to go real fast to do it. I just got to keep learning. So said, one thing leads to another.
0: How much time are you spending on like seeking out or figuring out the right locations, the right places? Like why, like why Tampa? Why Palm Harbor? Like why? Well, it
2: just. <laughs> It, it just so it just so ended up that uh, there was a, a girl that I knew down in um, Clearwater who worked for a personal training center who was phenomenal. I, and I always knew she was phenomenal at what she did. But the person who owned it, I think, didn't appreciate how great she was. Maybe could even be a little jealous mm. when you have an employee who's more popular. <laughs> than you are, oh, and uh, one day she called me up and she told me I I, I just got fired. I said really? I said um, why did you get fired? And she went through and she said why she was told she was fired. I said that's not the reason you're fired. I said I'll tell you I'll tell you why you're fired. And um, you know she had a little boy, and I said did you get any severance pay or anything? She goes um, five days, and she would worked for this company for four years, never took a vacation, never got a sick day, never took a day off. And um, so she went through everything. I said, man, that's great news. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you're going to work for me now. I (laughs) said, we're going to build a place right by you. Um, And so I found a location, which was by her. You know, I wanted to get some because I knew she had a little boy and everything, and I wanted to have it close to where she lived. That's so crazy. So I found found this uh, location, and it was a nice-looking shopping center, strip mall, but it was very nice-looking, and uh, just negotiated and built it. When I started looking around Tampa, I had a friend of mine who was a broker taking me all around Tampa, and I'm looking at all the strip centers because that's where you want to put this particular thing. And I'm looking and i going, I would never put a facility in any of these strip centers. I said I'd have to remodel the whole strip center
0: mm. to make it look
2: like I'd want it to look to put in my own in my own boutique. And um, so uh, about a year ago, um, she said, Hey, they're really developing a new one. They're took this just building it and it's really nice. So I went over there and I saw it and I go, this is the kind of center I'd want to be in. And it's in South Tampa, which is a great area. And um, so I started negotiating on the lease. Well, I had a lawyer out of Chicago who's great negotiating the <laughs> lease. Um, so anyway, we signed the lease um, you know a while a while ago and um, started building it, I guess probably last September. And it's all finished now, like I said. So the, we're just waiting for the equipment to come in, and um, and we're putting all the open houses and all the PR and everything together. Because I was thinking about it, you know, just like you have to think about marketing and all. I said, where's one of the best ways to get good PR down there? And I said, the Tampa Bay Bucks are a pretty popular team. So what I'm doing is uh, uh, through one of the uh, cheerleaders. Uh, who was a cheerleader like 25 years ago. She's sending a message out to all the cheerleaders who are at least 45 years old now. And uh, we're gonna run a trial program with about 10 of them to show what we could we could do to them because I know they're all so well known in that area. And we have some media people coming in who are gonna go through the program and we know what we can do to them and it's dramatic what we can do to them. And uh, so we'll, we're getting all that stuff going you know, right now.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. I mean this, uh, like I like, I just think as an entrepreneur, sometimes you can be very impatient, right? And it, that just sounds like a very patient process. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you've you've had uh, like you've had the centers here in Gainesville for a long time. Now now these boutiques, because you recognize this opportunity. Um, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by like. So how long will like will you just spend time focusing on the Tampa store and then or, you know the the Tampa studio and then being like, all right now, the next, now, the next now, the next, now, the next, or yeah. are you already looking? No, not yet, because I want to get this so one going. you're just going waiting for the opportunities. And learn
2: what it is, because the opportunities will be there, but the super thing is, this particular um, girl, is um, she's she's Bulgarian, she just became an American citizen about three years ago, hard worker, just a great personality, connects to people really well, and I can really develop the business through her, which is what I want to do. And uh, I mean, I go down there. I meet with the I meet with the different people, but
0: how often do you see yourself having to go down there?
2: Maybe once every two weeks, you know. So, um, but I, I it's in real good hands, and we have really good people working for us down there yeah. already. Because she really develops she really develops a great family culture, you mm-hmm. know, with the employees, and they'll do anything for her, and um, she'll do anything for them. So now we'll just, we'll see. I said, I'm, I'm learning. I accept the fact that I'm learning, that I don't know at all. And um, we'll keep figuring it out as we move forward. But you know, as you know too, growing a business is a matter of being able to delegate responsibilities to the right people. And then holding the people accountable and following up with the people and not disconnecting yourself from them. Um, so we'll just kind of keep it all together and keep moving forward together.
0: I feel like accountability is the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> That's the part that I'm not the best at. Yeah. It's because I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because you don't. You know, I think you just want to be like, "Hey, I just want you to show up and do your job and do a good job." I want to be accountable? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, like it's like
1: from
2: within,
0: yeah, yeah, like just do what I ask and yeah. you know do what you're supposed to do, and I don't have to like. Stress yeah. over anything.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but you, you don't want to not stress over things because you don't know, <laughs> you know. The, so the thing is, once we set up the plans, then it's a matter of everybody following the plan. And uh, just like in the health clubs, I mean, we put together mm-hmm. all our objectives. We put our objectives together in 2017 for two years. And every month we all get together and go through all the objectives to make sure everybody is doing all the things that they they said they're going to be doing. But but when you really develop a team, of people, if you are all part of my team and you you know and and Colin, you were having a problem getting one thing done. The goal of the team is that we can all pitch in and help you, you know, get it done. But I have to know whether or not you're getting it done. Right. And so we do hold people accountable. And we do expect them to do their job, and and it doesn't matter how long you've been working for, you know, with me. I mean, I have some employees been with me. I got one employee with me for forty-two years. I got others who have been with me thirty to forty years, a whole bunch of them. And uh, but we still have the things that we have to accomplish, and we have to hold each other accountable, just yeah. like I can be held accountable. I have to be held accountable for the things I have to do too.
0: And how do they hold you accountable?
2: Well. They can ask me what's going on in any particular area, where we are in any particular area. But the thing, the thing that I always do is I always, I always make them aware of where I am on a different, different projects, different things that we're working on. Because I mean, I meet with my leadership team every single Monday morning for, for two to three hours every single Monday morning. Mm. You know, people say, "Well, what do you cover?" Yeah. Every Monday morning, I said, "We always have enough stuff to cover." Make sure we're getting things done that we need to get done, and then that there's questions or issues. And, so, and a lot of times, it can be learning about different things. And uh, I'm pretty big in that, uh, even history. Making sure that my whole team understands not our history, like the history of America, and because I want them to understand, you know, where we all came from and where our DNA is from, and and then doing doing fun things with them. You know, for example, when I was I showed them a lot on the Civil War and on Gettysburg. And then my staff really gets into the different series and learning about the different battles. And then when it was all said and done, I brought them all up to Gettysburg for three days and we went through battlefield leadership where they all had to take the role of the commanding officer for all the different battles that took place and say, okay, let's talk about it. And and, um, so just different things, you know, like that where you can all all learn together and um, that's what we do.
0: That's awesome,
1: Mike. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it seems like you've been on the forefront of a lot of change in the industry. Whether it was, you know, mm-hmm. what you built here, uh, the boutiques, and and there's a great confidence there. And we talked about being an entrepreneur and only having like a plan A. Do you think that confidence comes more from the, the vision that, that you've come up with, or is it more like the, the skills that you've developed and the team you've surrounded yourself with, uh, and just knowing that it's going to work out?
2: Well, I think it's, it's gaining more knowledge all the time. You know, I, 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 I am a continual learner. I never look at it like I know enough, I never look at it like I'm good enough um, that I have to become better. And fortunately, my whole team. They all look at it that way. We all have to find ways to become better. So I look for all the different resources you know, for all of us. I may give you, I'll give you an example. Um, there, there's a person who's in charge of what's called enculturation inside of our company. You know, when I began, I had three employees, and you know, today I have 500 employees. But you always want to make sure that everybody is sticking to what the culture of the company is. And we had first defined all that, which we did. Um, But her, her role is making sure the culture of the company stays consistent through all departments. So for example, one of the things that she would do is she has like three meetings with 12 different individuals who they talk about all the different issues in their particular area. And then they make sure once you understand all that, now you get it out to all the people so they understand it. But I just couldn't say, okay Allison, you're in charge of inculturation. I hired somebody who was an expert in it for a year to work with her to help her understand the whole process, you know, that you go through to be able to become a good leader in that area. So you have the vision for the company and now you got to implement, you know, what are the things to accomplish the mission? You know, how do we make sure we live the core values of the company? How do we make sure that people inside the company fit the culture of the company, which then says how do we become better at hiring people so we'll know whether or not they fit the culture of the company. If they have the core values that we have, because I mean, I've just learned over the years, you can't teach somebody your core values. I can't teach you to have integrity. You either got it or you don't. <laughs> we just have to find out if you have it. And so there's different things that we can do to find out. And that all becomes part of the hiring process.
0: Have you ever had, uh Time over the years, where you're just, you know, I mean, 500 team members is a lot. (laughs) At at a point where it was growing quickly, you notice things were, I don't want to say falling apart, but like from a cultural standpoint, like unhealthy. Um,
2: No, I mean, every once in a while they make they may have made a mistake in hiring somebody, um, but that's so rare, so rare. It hasn't happened, and probably the last time I saw that happen was 10 years ago. But, I mean, to give you a simple thing that we do, is I have about five people on that hiring team, and when they're going through each individual and deciding who they're gonna bring on, if one person says, I just didn't feel right about it, Hmm. we don't hire that person. Now, years and years ago, uh, somebody was brought onto the team, and one person said, I I don't really feel good (laughs) about him. And she was overridden, uh, which she never should have been overridden. But she was overridden by the person who was the leader, and that person turned out to be a bad person for us to hire. That, but we quickly ended that, um, and then we made sure you all understand. Unless everybody agrees, uh, because it, you sometimes you know I really trust gut feelings. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you." gotta use your brain and all that But I'll tell you, I think you know who Deepak Chopra is, Mm -hmm. right, I once heard him say it perfectly. He says, you know we have the same neurotransmitters in our gut that we have in our brain. Mm. The only difference between the two is, the ones in our gut haven't elevated to the same level of self-doubt that the ones in our brain have. So you go with your gut, it's just something doesn't feel right. And um, you learn to, you learn, you learn. I'm that guy. Yeah. The gut, yeah, you yeah, have been,
1: and like, you've been in yeah. similar situations and we don't have to discuss that. but like, where, where that gut feeling, I mean, yeah, it's just you, there. you didn't it make just, it and it, it hurt.
2: Yeah, no, I know, you just feel it. And after a while, you say, God, I, why didn't I just trust my gut? Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: So I've had big mistakes. I think I've even talked about some of them on the podcast where I didn't go with my gut, and I'm like,
2: <clears throat> and,
0: and it's, usually because, it's usually because of outsiders you know, it's like, my gut's telling me one thing, but everybody, kind of like where you're saying, oh, where people are advising you, Joe, don't do that right now. Like, you know, economy's gonna crash. Like, you'd be stupid to do that right now. Like, yeah, I mean, no, like my gut's telling me, do it. And, it. and it all, I had all these outside voices saying, no, don't do it, don't do it. Don't like, and then I listened to him and sure enough,
2: Failure. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, I'm a pilot, so I mean, I fly all the time. And you also you use your brains, you look through and you think, but then your gut may say, you know, everything seems to be okay, but there ain't, there's something just right. I can remember one time I had some people in my airplane, we were flying back from North Carolina and it was night. And I turned my engine on and I'm sitting there and every report of the airport was, it was fine. I just said to the people, something just doesn't seem right and I'm sitting in my airplane with the propeller going, not taxiing yet, all of a sudden this massive wind comes through, and my airplane was stable, but it went right past me Whatever ripped a tree right out of the ground. I turned off the engine, I said, we're not leaving tonight. (laughs) But I don't even know why. I mean, it was pitch blackout, couldn't see anything. And the reports were, "Airport was fine. But there was something they didn't see. So that's where your gut can tell you, okay, maybe something ain't right.
0: Where did the passion for pl- flying come from? Is that something you always had?
2: Well, you know, it was funny. When I was 21, I read a book called Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I was so inspired at the end, I wrote a list of 10 things that I wanted to do. And it was funny, because it was right after I got down to my last 12 cents. And But I got, I got the book and um, I wrote my list out. And um, I think it was number five on my list was I'll become a pilot and own my own airplane. And you know, I read that list all every night, every morning for years and years and years. And um, by the time I was 24 and a half and I started building the club, I didn't have time to read it anymore because I was working 18 hours a day to build a club. There was no difference between going to bed and not going to getting up in the morning anymore. And um, But when I was, it was funny, because when I was 28 years old, I was sitting in my office in my first health club. and a Friend of mine who was a lawyer who was also a pilot and I'd flown with him, he comes inside my office. He goes, So, you ever gonna learn how to fly a plane? I go, Darn, that's on my list. And I said, Where do you learn? And so he told me, Well, they do it over, then told him the name of the place at the airport, which is called Gulf Atlantic back then. So I called him up. I said, What do I, it was two o'clock on a Tuesday. I said, What do I need to, do to become a pilot? They go, well, You should have to meet with a flight instructor and he go over everything with you. I said, Well, when do you have an opening? He goes, we have one at 2.30. I said, okay, I'll be right over. I said, I'll see you later, Bill. I left and I went over and I sat down with the flight instructor and he explained to me all the things I had to do to become a pilot. And then he said, I said to him, So well, when can I start? He goes, right now. So I went outside, he showed me how to pre-flight an airplane, got in the pilot seat, showed me how to use the radio, and we got to the end. He goes, now go over here and give it full power and when it gets to 60, pull it back, and uh, and I did. And Started flying, and he's telling me, "Can okay, now do this, do this, do this." And we flew for a while, and he goes, "Okay, we'll go back and land." I said, "You actually want me to land this thing too?" He goes, "No, no, I'll take care of that." Box. And, uh, and uh, but from that day, I never stopped flying. Uh, you, if, if I didn't have it on the list, I would have probably said, on will Yeah. And if he didn't question me, maybe I wouldn't have done it at that moment. But I would have done it because I did everything I had on my list. Do you think I it's?
0: It? Uh, I mean, when you're going to your these other locations are you going to be flying there or you drive yeah, driving, yeah? I, no i fly just, all the time dude that's awesome Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like ah, i'm just gonna jump in my plane and <sighs> yeah, fly go to palm,
2: fly harbor, palm harbor palm yeah. harbor tampa
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah that's cool tell me a little bit about the list because i know that that's part of your story and um and a big in a big part right like when you read that book and you wrote those it was 10 things
2: yeah yeah the first thing on the list was uh I'll own my health club in Gainesville, Florida. I will own my own health club in Gainesville, Florida, so no one's ever gonna tell me where I'm gonna live because I had to live in Merritt Island. I had to live in St. Petersburg, you know, during those periods of time. And, um, but back then I remember I told you all the clubs I worked for that went bankrupt? Well, there were more than just the ones I worked for. And So the second thing on the list was I'll make the health club respected in the Gainesville community. Mm. Because I said they had a horrible reputation. I just started putting some fun things down. Like, okay, I'll have a home in the mountains, a home in the ocean. And I'll build my parents a home. Put down that um, I'll own a little Mercedes, like the kind the six million dollar man used to drive, which was a TV <laughs> show when I was a kid. And I, you know, but, uh, then I put down that by the time I'm 25 years old, I will make $100,000. I mean, I wouldn't making no money at all, and. Um, put down that you know I'll become a pilot and own my own airplane. I put down that I'll become a black belt. I put down I'll travel all over the world. I, put all, I travel all over America. I said, I'll travel all over the world. And, and I remember the last thing I wrote down was, uh, I'll save a million dollars. Only because when I grew up, I heard everybody say, I wish I had a million dollars. I said, just put it on the list. And um, so I did. And uh, But every night I read it. And every morning I read it. Because I, I heard a psychologist, a guy by the name of Dennis Whateley, I used to listen to his tapes all the time. And um, he just made the comment, he goes, you can't move away from what you're thinking. He goes, you're always moving in the direction of your dominant thoughts. And I said, well, let me put my thoughts into my head so much that I'll keep doing the kind of things I need to do to get there. Probably the biggest eye-opener on that list was, you know, I I started the health club when I was 24 and a half. If you took, when I was 21, 22, 23, I never made over $11,000 in a year. And uh, when I was 23, I actually put a line through 100,000 and I put 60,000. And I said, I don't know how I'm gonna do that either. But I was always reading books on how to think. And um, when I was 20, when I was 24, I was still reading my list. And I thought, man, I just copped out. I think I, I've just finished reading the book The Laws of Success. And I said, man, I copped out. It just says you're supposed to believe it. So I put a line back through hundred thousand, uh, 60000 I put 100000 back on that list. So 24 and a half, I started the health club with the 1700 bucks. but the day that I turned 26, I had exactly $100,000 in my savings account. Wow. And I remember when I saw that number, I said, you know, it's not 99, it's not 101, it was the exact number I wrote down. I said, I can do anything.
0: Don't you wish you would have written down like $100 million? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 it, no.
2: I didn't need $100 million. I only put I only put 100000 because that sounded good at that point. And I put a million because I always heard that number. I mean, look, I came from a very middle-class family in upstate New York. I mean, I have seven brothers and sisters. And my mother was nurse. My father was military. You didn't think that big, right? But a million was big. And, um, but within, by the time I was 32, I did every single thing on that list. And I just realized, you just you just have to know what it is you want to do. And it's not like I kept thinking, well, I want a million dollars. I didn't, I just went to work, and I just worked hard all the time. And I used to watch some people that they didn't work that hard, and they say, why do people waste so much time? I just didn't understand it. Like, why are they just BSing instead of doing their work? And then I realized, they didn't have a list. So they didn't even they were just doing it to get to make it to five o'clock, yeah. You know to go home, and I wasn't I wasn't doing that. Yeah, me neither.
0: So, I know. <laughs> do you have a? Do you have another list?
2: I didn't need to put together another list because I knew what the. I think the list became projects. You know, okay, the next project, the next, because it's not like I want all these. Things I right. don't. You don't need all these possessions. I don't, I don't. You don't I, care about I, them. I never thought about those. Yeah. I figured if all the other things go right, if I want something, I can buy it. Um, but the focus was never on that. The focus was always on how do we make the business better, how do we make the staff better, how do I help the staff become better, and those were the things that always that always drove me. And you know, once again, when I was 21, it seemed like I. I read a lot of great books, but so when I was 21, some of the things hit me. And and I, I was reading a book and I came across a quote and it said, if you help enough people get what, out of li- get what they want out of life, you'll get everything you want out of life. Hmm. And I read that and I go, hmm, that's what business is all about. It's not about you, it's about how do you help other people. And that was a humongous driving force for the business, for my whole business. And everybody in my business understands, not about you, it's about how do you help them. And I tell them, somehow the way the universe works, it'll come back to you without you ever worrying about it coming back to you. If you worry about it coming back to you, it ain't gonna come back to you. So that's been a driving force for the whole company and for everything that I that I did.
0: How much do you read now?
2: Oh, I still read all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, back then, but there are different things that I, I read. I read a lot about strategy. I mean, I, I read a lot about the military. Um, Back then, all the books that I read were how to keep my mind focused on accomplishing, on keeping me going. Right, because everybody would tell me, "Just get out of that business, man. It's terrible." I had one bank president told, tell me he felt sorry for me when I was trying to get money to start my own club. Oh man! And um, but it was like I had to read books on how to how to keep thinking and and um, and it, but once again, is a lot of these things are just. <laughs> a matter of luck, but you know, that's when uh, preparation meets opportunity, right? And when I was 20 years old, I was sitting in an office, I opened up a drawer and there was a book in there, Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. I go, hmm, heard about these positive thinking books, I never read one, but I heard about them, and I started reading it. And I'm, I'm reading about these people who accomplished these phenomenal things by the way that they thought. I remember I'm reading this book and I'm going, I got a mind just like these people have. Why can't I accomplish something? So I I remember, I said, brand new in the business, brand new salesperson, so I set a a goal. I said, I'm gonna become the top salesperson in this entire company. And they had clubs out through Salt Lake City and everywhere. And um, three months later, I was the top salesperson in the entire company. And I remember saying, how did that happen? And then I realized it. When I put this thing into my head, then I started doing all the things it took to become better at what I was doing. Even there was a guy who ran a health club down in Ocala who lived in Gainesville, he didn't have a car. But I knew he was really good in sales. And I said, how about if I drive you to work every morning, early in the morning, but I'm gonna talk to you the whole time about sales. And that's what I did. And I learned a lot, you know, from him. (laughs) That's Um, incredible. But but, that's, that's, I mean, but you just, when you have those things, all of a sudden, they just become huge opportunities for you. Because, that that book um, just kind of got my brain thinking. But then I got transferred, and I got transferred to uh, Merritt Island, and I had to live in Cocoa Beach. I had to live in a Holiday Inn. And I would go to go to work all day. I'd go back at night to the Holiday Inn, come back the next day, go back to the Holiday Inn. I hated it. I, I knew Merritt Island wasn't where I wanted to live I'm from Merritt Island by yeah, the way. But, I, <laughs> no. mean, I, visit, I visit Merritt I Island sucks Mike
1: <laughs> I had to mention it at that point yeah.
2: <laughs> I, ha- no, I have great friends from down there but I knew it's not where I wanted to live and um, I can remember one day I was driving to work literally now understand I'm 20 years old I mean I got tears coming out of my eyes I'm thinking I hate it here I don't want to be here and I decided I was going to quit and then I thought, well, what am I going to do when I quit? Like go home? I may have great parents, but I wasn't ready to go home and live with them again. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I can find another book. And and so I went to the bookstore and I inside the Merritt Square Mall. Mm-hmm. And um, I see this book, uh, The Amazing Results of Positive Thinking. I thought well, it must be people who read that book like I did, and it wasn't. But it was. I'm reading the book about these people who went through the most miserable times and how they worked their way through it. And I'm reading the book, thinking, man. I don't have a problem, that guy, he has a problem. I, I just <laughs> had an attitude problem, and yeah. I changed my attitude. And I changed, how I like it here, I like it here. And I, Everything about it changed. And um, that was the beginning of that. And then eventually, when I was asked to come back to Gainesville, and that was another long story, I won't go through the whole thing with it, but when I was asked to come back to Gainesville, uh, when I was 21, and this guy from Louisiana asked me if I wanted to manage the club in Gainesville, um, of course, I said yes. You know, I wanted to be back. I thought maybe I better go get another book. So I went to the bookstore and I see this book, "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill. And I thought, well, that's a cool title for a book. And I took it off the shelf and um, read right on the back. Said this book is responsible for more people becoming millionaires than any book ever written. And I thought, not that I ever thought about becoming a millionaire. I thought, but that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. And I read the book and I put together the list. But then there was book after book after book. But then one day I was in a a car with this guy who was coming down to run a health club, and he came also from Utah. And um, I'm in a car with him and I see this book. I said, it was called Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. I said, I didn't know Napoleon Hill had written another book. He goes, yeah. He goes, this is like my Bible. And I got that book. Man, I could not stop reading that book. Oh, what was that one called? Laws of Success. Well, the Sixteen Laws of Success. I've read
0: Thinking, Grow Rich. Yeah, but. that's
2: this is about this thick. <laughs> it's a big book, but it's a great book. But it's let me just tell you like how things go. I put together my personal list. But when I started, uh, you know, back in '96, '97, right around there, I had a meeting with uh, my key people that I thought was going to last eight hours. That lasted six months. We kept working on, working on, working on it. But I said to him, at one of the, excuse me, one of the points, I said, okay, this is our next project. Imagine it's 10 years from now. This was 98. I said, imagine it's 10 years from now and a national business magazine is coming to write a story about us. And, and I want you to go somewhere in this house. You got an hour. Write the story they're gonna be writing about us, but it's 10 years from now. So they all came back with their stories. Then they read their stories. And we're starting to write all these things on a board. That's cool as heck. And we started writing all these things down that we would they would be writing about us. And um, and I won't go through all of them with you, but the very last thing is we'll be on the cover of a national business magazine, right? And in 2008, we were on the cover of Ink Magazine. Yeah. And uh, so, That's I mean, scary. it was the thing that was on the list. Are we all supposed to be on the national news for something good, and we were. And so, the irony to that is when the when the author, who's a great guy, becomes super friends with, wrote the entire article for the magazine. One day I get this package in the mail, and uh, I look at it and I open it up and there's two books in there. And one is collector's edition of Think and Grow Rich, and the other one is all the articles that Napoleon Hill written had written twenty-one years before he ever wrote Think and Grow Rich. And there's a letter from the uh from the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. He said, I read your article and all your references to Think and Grow Rich, and he said, I just wanted to send this to you. And um, so, I had the book, so I called him up, and I said, hey, it's Joe Cerulli. I said, I got your I got your books. And I said, I just wanna say thank you very much You know, for doing that, it means a lot. And he goes, well, he goes, I've been meaning to do it. He goes, but I was at home, and he goes, I got on my treadmill, and I turned on the news, and you were on the news. I was on Fox News, and um, he said so. I got off the treadmill, and I went. I put it together and sent the books. <laughs> so it's just funny how things, yeah, you know, how things all tie in together.
0: I mean, it's crazy just hearing. You know, last week we had John Spence on, mm-hmm. and just hearing a lot of the similarities. I mean, from a from a these little turning points, these little light bulbs, these little. You know, invest it like investing into yourself. the, the reading because I mean that was one of the big things he said too. Was mm-hmm. like he had reached that moment and he was just like I think he read, he's
2: read more books than he had oh, in a library. Yeah, I mean yeah. It,
0: it's yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's crazy and yeah, like I'm great. I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to figure out my way of consuming that kind of like I'm doing a lot of Audible and oh, stuff yeah, me right too. now. Okay, yeah,
2: because you can read a book and listen to a book. Yeah, at and the same I'm time.
0: really terrible at reading books. Yeah. I don't know. I think. I just have multiple problems with my brain, and I think it's n- not a problem at all. I think it's like my my brain starts firing because I start getting ideas, and I have to stop reading, <laughs> and like, write down, like write down ideas,
2: which is fine. Right? Why I said you got all the time. But in the world I just to never a finish a book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, as and, long as you get some great ideas, you're okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's and that's something that other people have encouraged me on. Is they said, look, like if you read a book and you can take one thing away from it, oh, sure. then it was a success. Sure. sure. So. That's I mean it's just really, really interesting. Um, I did have something else that I but I forgot where I was going with that anyway, what you got
1: you know I, I kind of wanted to circle That's back to to some of the the things in in your business. I know that uh, we we, talk, we talked about hiring a little bit and getting the right people in there and i've I've lived here in Gainesville now for fifteen years, so I've had several friends that have uh you know gone through the interviewing process at Gainesville Health and Fitness and some that made it some that didn't, but I know one of the things that I feel like you used to do, maybe still do, were, were like uh, group interviews and stuff like that. And there's unique things that I've heard. Some of them, I just remember that they were unique. I don't exactly remember what they were, but uh, can you talk just, just a little bit about that and, and, and isolating the right people? Um, does that even, ever even change as we go from Gen X to millennials to now Gen Z? Um, you know, How do you, how do you isolate those, those people and what are those interviews like?
2: Well, what doesn't change are the core values of the company. Right? What doesn't change is the culture you know, of the company. So it doesn't matter which generation you are, but you have to fit into that, into that culture. And you have to have those core values. So if, if we have a thing in our, in our culture that's built around the fact that when people talk to you, you listen to them. And you could do a simple thing, like just ask eight people to write about themselves for five minutes and then stand up and read their stories. And then you can just look at everybody and see, are they listening to him? Are they listening to you? Are they listening to you? Or do they all of a sudden start writing more things about themselves that they just thought about? If they do that, they'll never make it, you know, to the next interview. But if now different people, you go through the things, now we want to know, do you actually listen to them? So it could be Mary. Could you tell us a little bit about Colin, where he's from, and what are some of the books he talked about reading? And and you're gonna know whether or not somebody actually listened, you know, to you. But there's even simple things like uh, I remember in the Ink magazine they they wrote about one where you know you go into a room and there'd be maybe be eight chairs in the room, and uh, we'd be interviewing you, and we say, well, excuse me before we start, they need some chairs next door and I'm just gonna grab some of these chairs. You start grabbing the chairs and walking out the door with them. After the second chair, if you don't stand up and grab a chair and walk out with me, you'll never make it through the interview. Mm-hmm. You know, or they put some <laughs> garbage awesome. They put some garbage on the ground and uh, eight people walk right past it. Mm-hmm. I've had a, I had a supervisor go and say, I just wanna thank you all for being here, the interview's over. I mean, nobody even stopped to pick it off the ground because you need people who naturally do those kind of things. Right. But you as a leader have to always do all those kind of all those kind of things. I mean, mm-hmm. I give you an example. I mean, one of the big things I'm big on is when a person comes to your business, or comes to our business, the moment the beginning of the visit to the business begins is when they get out of their car. That means if we have garbage and stuff in the parking lot, that's the first thing that they see. So we're all responsible for picking up garbage when you're walking from your car, you know, to the front door. And and a couple weeks ago, I was walking through the parking lot, and there was something that was on the ground, and it was like broken up. And one of my one of my uh, trainers comes there, and he sees me, and he's he's picking it all up, and he's he goes, I'm only getting it before you do. <laughs> you, know, you know, so you just have to make sure that you do those same things, but but. There's other things too, like a long time ago, I learned that you could be my friend until things get real tough, and then all of a sudden, you're just not the same person anymore. I learned that a long time ago, that people under pressure are not the same people they are when there's no pressure. And uh, so there was just an example of it back in the, in the, um, in the early 80s, and I, I saw this and I go, wow, what a change in that person. And so I said, I gotta find out what you're made out of. The question is, how do I put you under an intense situation that I'm gonna learn what you're like under an intense situation? So, I mean, knowing what I know, I said, we're gonna take every person through a high-intensity workout. It's gonna be miserable. I don't even care if you can't make it through, because most people won't be able to make it through. What I do care is that you give it everything you got until you can't go. And you don't complain or whatever else um, <laughs> that you could do. That you listen to directions and you give it everything you got. And so you know when I when I talked to all the employees, I asked them, "Well, how was the interview workup?" And I go, "I <laughs> But the god thing is, the reason you're here is because you all gave it everything you had. But you can learn a lot. Uh, I give you another example. My manager, there was this one guy that everybody was high and all oh, he'd be really, really good. He goes, let me take him through the workout. He took him through the workout and the kid, I mean muscular kid and all, he's, he's doing the leg extension and he just stopped. And the manager says, you know, I think you can get a couple more. So he does a couple more and he stops. He goes, you know, I think you could still get another one. And the kid made a few disparaging comments to the manager and got up and walked out the door, which is great right, because he just didn't like that someone was asking him to, to say, you could, put out, you could do more. And um, so I want people to just do it. And uh, it's not like we're going to be, you know, dictators when they're there, but I just want to find out that you'll give it everything you got, no matter what, because that's what you show in your work, too. So everybody does it. Even if you're going to work in the kids club, you're going to do it. Can We're going to start systems?
0: sending new scooters for less team members through. I mean, I've been through yeah, yeah, that So like, Send them over there, let them go through that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, it's time for the second part of your yeah, interview. Yeah, You're yeah. going to Gainesville Health and Fitness, and this is what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> have no, you had other businesses request that?
2: Yeah, yeah. No. Um, but <laughs> so it sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, it's, uh, it's just a... It's just a way I can make it miserable on you and see and see how you are <laughs> yeah. when you're when things not, are not so great. Yeah. And uh, so I just disturbed. learned different things over the
1: years. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating because I, I feel like I feel like sometimes I come up sh- just short of maybe having this like savior complex where it's like I feel like as a leader, it's like may- maybe through my influence, I-, I can I can create change. Like I want to believe in the good of people, and I also think it's interesting that you work in in this business or you have built this business where. Reformation is a huge part of what you do and a lot of that's physical, but a lot of that's mental too. But that it's so, when it comes down to hiring people, it's it's about just, you, you've either got it or you don't.
2: Well, I can give you a perfect example back a long time ago when I was reading all these books, right, how to think, how to think. I actually got the point, I said, I think I can help people think like this. But as I said, as I've told other people, by the time I went to about 100 employees and maybe one of them changed, I thought, Maybe better if I just hired people like this, <laughs> and that's how it was. Yeah. I, I, you know, some things you can't instill in a person. You know, you can see raw talent in people. I'm not saying you can't. Uh, I mean, I, I remember I met through friends of mine in Cocoa Beach uh, this this guy who was a friend of theirs, and um, real nice kid, real country. I mean, he couldn't complete one sentence where I think he got the grammar right. But I could tell he was a good person. Next thing I know, he's moving to Gainesville and he's applying for a job. And he went through a workout, he gave it so much he couldn't leave the club for four hours after the workout. He was in the lobby, he couldn't get out of the chair. And um, anyway, and we hired him because of those qualities. And he, he came to me and he said, Joe, he goes, what can I do to become better? I said, You need to start reading. You need to start reading more because you need to improve your grammar. (laughs) You want to know something? Not only did he improve his grammar, he became a salesman, became one of the best salespeople I've ever had. Then he was offered a job in Tampa, or excuse me, in Atlanta. And you know what he does today? He goes to all the major banks in the world selling them high uh, technology. And he's very, very successful. And he's still a great friend of mine. And we train together. And um, so there's just different, you know. You just, you first have to go with the character of the person, because you can, you can teach them skills, but I can't teach you your character. It's something you got. Yeah. And uh, it may work in another company. It just wouldn't work in our company if they didn't have their right character. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. We got to wrap up in a minute, but. I have a couple more questions, and so I said we had John Spence on on the show last week, and I said, "So John, I was like, we have Joe coming up on the show, and I was like, I was like, what questions? You know, I'm trying because I'm trying to really, you know, I one everybody's got to know. Like, I want this podcast to be different than other podcasts. I really want to, you know, I just. I wanted to have that thing, you know, it's just, that's just different and special and unique. And so I was like, there ain't no better person to than John, yeah. <laughs> right? And and he asked, and we asked him this question. He's like, you need to ask Joe the same question. Um, and one of them was, like, what, what do you think Gainesville needs to meet its potential?
2: Oh, I think Gainesville is moving towards its potential right now. I mean, obviously, we've got a highly educated group of people who live in Gainesville. And so, with all the technology and everything, going, it's kind of a perfect model. I mean, the things that we needed to make Gainesville a more uh, upscale city are the things that are occurring right now at Butler Plaza and at Celebrations and all the other construction that's going around the city. So I think I think we have all the right ingredients yeah. right now. I don't think I'm going to say, well, we need this or we need that. I think we're developing those things and and as you're learning uh, yourself through all the different podcasts you're doing how many great organizations are out there doing their thing you just never heard about yeah, them and insane. you know like we, even with Mitch Glazer and uh, and uh, Rich Glazer, the things that they're doing you know in Alachua and the developments and the vision that they have there because I mean that's what develops a, a city right is a lot of people with vision and I think we have those.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be, I have a vlog of that coming out soon, so if you wanna check, like, Mitch took me out there, we had a little private tour going through that, and it was cool, man, it's it's neat. Um, like, I know we talked a little bit about the boutique stuff, but like, where do you see the health and fitness industry in a decade?
2: I don't know if I'm good enough to go out for a decade. You know, I can I can remember one day I was listening to one of my employees interviewing a girl that wanted to work in the kids club and they said, What is your five year plan? And I'm thinking, damn, I don't know if I have a five year plan. You know, it's Well it's really hard these days, right? I know, because it just evolves evolves all the time. The one thing that I do know is that uh, the human body still needs exercise. And it's just a matter of finding out the kind of things that you have to change and adapt and adjust. I mean, heck, my first health club was 1,500 square feet. My current one, big one's 80,000 square feet. You know, so there's a lot of things that change. And it's, it's um, it, the one thing in the industry is uh, that's growing up throughout the whole world is virtual reality. So the the thing is, how does virtual reality tie into what we do mm-hmm. inside the clubs? You know, like at our women's club, we've just instituted a lot of virtual classes. So we have all the regular schedule of classes, but there's times when we don't have classes. So we have a whole schedule of virtual classes. So you could go into the group X room and do the classes with a screen and a teacher, you know, on the screen. I mean, if you look at like Peloton, I mean, that's one of the things that Mm -hmm. they're doing, obviously that's making them very popular. But it's one of the things that's growing inside of our industry. You know, the other things is the use of technology um, inside the clubs, which will have its challenges. You know, where when you come into the club, they can track you, everything you do, and kind of get an idea of all the different places you go. Uh, Even, Even some of the clubs are sending you an email based upon where they see you, the information based upon where they see you spending most of your time. But there's also going to be all kinds of laws and I don't know how I actually feel about that, of knowing you walk into the club and you know you're being tracked yeah. everywhere, but you're being tracked on your phone. We're yeah, I mean, all being Apple, tracked right, on right phone. now, Oh, right. oh, oh yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh,
0: my heart yeah. right now. We buy our <laughs> tracking devices. My beats huh? per minute is. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. somebody else may know what your heartbeat beat uh, per minute are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the thing, those are the things that are changing is the use of technology for marketing purposes and the virtual reality. Those are the things that are occurring. But there's also something else that we did too, uh, because I knew this would be coming, and that is really discussing recovery uh, in all of our marketing messaging. So we Mm -hmm. developed an entire room that's based on recovery. Had the whole pool area completely redone so that it would be more resort-like to make it really around the concept of now take time to recover. And uh, through the steam and saunas and whirlpools and cold plunges and stuff like that. That's so. super interesting. Do you yeah. see?
0: There's, like, I feel, and it's come up on the podcast a couple times. Um, there's, we're definitely in a time where mental health is extremely oh, not, important. I mean, no. is, is that something that you guys see incorporating well, into what you're I, doing? I mean, I'll
2: make the story short, but yeah, in within a two year period, I had four deaths in my family: my mother, my father. My younger sister's husband uh, and my older sister's husband. Now, he had cancer. Um, my parents had some other issues that occurred. But my one brother-in-law, I know, he just had so much stress in his life. And he must have had a major stroke at like 59. And uh, and then I had a woman who was helping take care of my father because he had had a stroke. and. Uh, and one day I was up at the house. She's 52 years old, and once again, to make a long story short, she got a call that her husband had a heart attack, and he was uh, he was one of the drivers of the big uh, logs, the big uh, trees that are cut down out in the forest mm-hmm. for for transport to the other places, and and he was up in Homerville, Georgia, and he had a heart attack out in the boondocks, and um, anyway to. It was an interesting hour trying to figure out what was going on until one of the things too, just so you can always know, if you ever call 911, you can ask to talk to someone in another city, in another state. And I said, can you connect me to the 911 in Homerville, Georgia? And they did. And I said, can I talk to the sheriff? And I talked to the sheriff and boy, he was like an old country boy, Georgia sheriff. And he was in tears. He, t- he said, I couldn't help him. He said, I was with him. And then I had to put him on the phone with with E, the wife, and she just broke down. And when I drove her, I drove her back home to Lake City where she lived, and on the way back, I was just thinking, how many people die from stress, get sick from stress, and because uh, he was 52 years old, but I knew he was under a lot of stress. And I was driving back, I think, I gotta build an area that's designed to help people just relax. So took a room that I had kept vacant for a year because I didn't know what to do with it. And then I said, okay, now I know what to do with it. So we built a whole room, it's called Chill. And um, it's got really, really high-end massage tables in it that you just sit down and put a coat into it and you'll get the (laughs) the best massage. (laughs) And it's all water that's constantly Uh. hitting your body. And uh, So that was the beginning. And then uh, when I talked to the architect about the pool area, I said, I want to continue. This he goes look and I'll build a pool area that's like a hotel resort, and that's what we did. I know we did because originally it was supposed to cost four hundred thousand. By the time we got done, it was one point two million. So I know we accomplished. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's
0: super interesting. What are you reading right now?
2: Well, actually, right now I'm, <laughs> I'm on great. a break. No, 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 <laughs> oh, no, no. no. Uh, uh, it's actually called Pale Horse. Pale horse. And the, and the only reason is I I I'm part of a group called Vistage you may be familiar with, mm-hmm. it. and they bring in great speakers. And the last speaker was a 30-year uh, veteran in the Army, and he was in, really involved in strategy and teamwork. And so I listened to his presentation, and which was exceptional, and I downloaded his book, so I'm listening to that. I mean, I listened to one right before that, which is a military but not military, and um, it's called Can't Hurt Me. And, uh, I mean, you better be ready for, I mean, every other word out of his mouth is, <laughs> <money>. <laughs> um, but the story he tells is incredible, incredible. Um, a guy who was overweight, 297 pounds, talked about the dozen donuts he ate every day and everything else, and came home one day and saw a show on the Navy SEALs, and from that point on, called, us, called the Navy 10 guys, wouldn't even talk to him. The 11th guy said, come on in. He stepped on the scale, he goes, you're a big boy. He goes, yeah, I know. And uh, he says, okay, here's the deal, you want to become a SEAL? You have to lose 106 pounds in three months. And he did. Then you listen to the story of him becoming a SEAL, him becoming an Army Ranger, him running 100 mile races, him eventually said, I'm gonna set the world record in chin-ups and doing 4,134 chin-ups in 24 hours. I mean, it's like, you're, you're going, holy cow, but everything is, it's in your mind, it's in your mind. You can either quit or you keep going. And uh, so those, those now that they're a little bit more military, they're still very inspiring to me. And uh, so that's what I've been going through. But I mean, I go through other books.
0: And that kind of leads me books, to, yeah. my, to my next question. I mean, you get to a point where you gotta keep going, how to keep going, don't quit. So what, over all of these years, what's been your biggest failure?
2: Um, biggest. You know, I don't mean to sound egotistical. I can't think of my biggest failure because there's nothing that I did, something that happened that helped me go on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, uh, could I look at all the health clubs I worked for that went bankrupt? Is my failure? Um, they weren't really my failures, but, but I remember reading a quote once. It says, if you look back over your life. And you look at all the things that seem to be so wrong, so terrible. It spurred you on to the next thing. And if those things never happened, you would have never been spurred on to the next thing. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. There's there's nothing that I look at and said, "Wow, that was a that was a catastrophe." Um, if I make a mistake with something, I can quickly correct, you know, correct the mistake. Uh, I mean times when I was learning to become a pilot and I almost got killed I thought maybe okay that could have been a catastrophe you know because <laughs> there were times and then I was just like know oh, the only time I'm gonna learn how to become the only way I'm gonna learn how to become a good pilot is if I get in a horrible situation so I got to work my way through. but I remember one time I almost got killed and I just uh, flew I had flown my mother up to Jacksonville and I was coming back and it occurred I was a new pilot in a really fast airplane and I made a mistake with something that I did and I, I was going right into the ground and, and I was going into the ground so fast that I knew I just couldn't pull back because I would rip the wings off. So slowly I had to pull back and pull back and pull back and all I could picture was doing a belly flop you know on the runway Oh my gosh. and um, and obviously I, I did recover it. but the whole time the only thing I thought was if I get killed my mother's never gonna forgive herself. Mm-hmm. That was a thing that just, was the worst thing. So, I mean, those would have been catastrophes, but somehow I, I made it through.
0: My dad was an Air Force pilot. Oh, really? And he flew F 111s. And, um, you know, we were we were actually in England, so like hearing you talk about England and stuff. And now he's a commercial airline pilot really? for uh, Southwest Airlines. And I'm fascinated because he watches this show on like airplane disasters. Yeah,
2: <laughs> airplane I disasters.
0: Them, I watch them all the time. I'm like, Dad, I'm like, you fly all the time. <laughs>
2: No, you learn. You I, just, yeah, I,
0: I, I watch them all the time. That's what he says. He's like, you learn like what to do no, in this situation. You become, a better,
2: you become a better pilot. I mean, you start looking at things you didn't even think of as could be a problem. <laughs> that could be a problem. I'm
0: just, I'm just fascinated <laughs> these, yeah. these pilots watching like airplane uh, yeah, disasters. You know. <laughs> like, all right, all the time. I'm Like, well, oh, no, you guys just keep doing your thing. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. John, I mean, it was it was awesome because when John Spence when I told him you were gonna be on the show, he goes, he said he said one thing, he goes, he goes, Joe's one of those few people that have said he's going to change the world and has actually done it. Mm. And I was like, man, that's just awesome. And I hope somebody can say something similar about me yeah, one day. Sure. Well I have so, a great
2: team. So yeah, we all
0: do it together. Yeah, you guys are incredible. We'll we'll keep it up. Thank you so much. Where well, can everybody like find you? Um, yes, yeah, so social networks and stuff. I mean,
2: that's yeah, the I best think, way to connect. I, Debbie, I know. I, I mean, obviously, our website is ghfc.com. Start there and you yes, can get to everywhere there, else. Start there, yes, and you can make contact with any of us. I mean, my my email address is joe C-I-R-U-L-L-I, at ghfc.com. Awesome. So I, I'm going to tell you a quick thing. I was doing an interview for a guy and I said, Where are you? He goes, Rio de Janeiro. And so when we finished the interview, the first contact I got was from a 17-year-old Muslim in Sarajevo asking me about building a business. The second one I got was from Iceland you know? So anyway, it's pretty cool. That's crazy. So that's that's awesome. how you get me.
0: Yeah, okay. that's awesome. Well, thank you so much thank for being much here. Thanks for your impact. You hey, uh, everybody that's listening, I want to ask you to do me a big favor because I haven't asked for this yet. I want you to go leave us a review. You know, we're on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. But like, so on iTunes, you can leave a review. Leave a review, even if it's like terrible. If you think I'm terrible, then just tell me that I'm <laughs> terrible and give me, but give me some like positive, like so, like the microphone. Uh, give there. me like, so, give yeah. me like some feedback so I can learn. Don't just say, "Hey, Colin, you're terrible." Like, if I'm terrible, then like you're Tell, tell, me, tell me what I can do better. You're both very good. Uh, nice. You're, nice. You're not <laughs> well, terrible. Well, thank you. And um, please, share this with somebody. You know, Share this episode with somebody. Share any episode with anybody. We, we really want to grow this. this. We're going into year two, baby. We're going into year two. And don't forget to communicate. Talk with us on Instagram and Facebook. It's just at whoagnv on Instagram. And then it's uh, forward slash WHOA GNV podcast on Facebook. But if you communicate via messenger or like, we're gonna answer and and you can hit me up directly. Uh, my Instagram is just Colin Austin. And uh, hit me up directly, say hello. I wanna build relationships. I wanna continue to further build this community. Thank you so much for listening. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa! We will see you later, bye.